This week, we uh, start our Lenten series, which we've titled Five Red Words. In this series, we'll be taking a look at five of the last phrases, last words that Jesus said as he hung on the cross. We know that Jesus rose and met with the disciples and had other important things to say before he ascended into heaven, but it's good, it's, it's healthy, it's beneficial for us to sit in the words that he left us with right before he died. This series will take us through a few of the Gospels. We'll be starting today in Luke. We've arranged this series, these words of Christ, in their chronological order. So today we pick up in Luke chapter 23, and we'll be looking at verses 33 to 34. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn there now. If you do not have a Bible with you, but prefer that tangible feel of the text in your hands, there should be a Bible in the back of the pew in front of you. However, for convenience, the words will also be on the screens beside me. Leading up to this point in the text, Jesus has been betrayed, he has been denied, he has gone through a ridiculous sham of a trial, and the crowd has called for his blood. To stop a riot, Pontius Pilate sentenced Jesus, though he claimed Jesus was innocent, sentenced him to die by crucifixion. He has now carried the cross up the hill to Golgotha. Again, our text is Luke 23, verses 33 to 34. I know we've been standing for a little bit, but if you are able and are so inclined, I invite you to stand for the reading of the word this morning. Luke 23, verses 33 to 34. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Growing up in Canada, there was a calendar that hung by the back door at our house. And on each day of the calendar, the initials of the kids in our family were listed in a descending order. And by each initial was a letter. While the initials stayed the same, the letters rotated. Each letter referred to a room in our house, K uh, being the kitchen, L for the living room, the small B was for the bathroom, or bathrooms, and the capital B was for the basement, etc. If that letter was next to your name, it was your responsibility to clean that room. On Saturdays, we did what we called mega chores, and if you had the living room, you had to make sure that the room was vacuumed, dusted, etc. It wasn't just taking the, the, the toys off the floor, you had to make sure that it was well done, right? The kitchen, the floor needed to be swept and washed, that kind of thing. And this was on top of the daily chores that we had. Mine, for example, was to take out the garbage. We did these chores for two reasons. One was that since we were part of the family, it was our responsibility to help keep the house clean, whether we made the mess or not. I complained a lot about that one. I was the oldest, so it wasn't my fault that the Barbies were all over the basement and that the Duplos were dumped out. Like, I didn't play with those things. That was my little sister's. And be that as it may, as part of the family, if that capital B was next to my initial, I was cleaning the basement that day. It was just part of being a Stenberg. 
The other reason for the chores was the allowance that mom and dad would give us. It wasn't over the top, but it was a decent amount. At least, I thought it was, until I went to high school. In high school, we had what we called a canteen. It was run by the student council, and it sold candy, ice cream, chips, and other snacks. Different members of the student leadership would be assigned to run the canteen during different breaks in the school day, and when it was open, the canteen was busy. The canteen in Birch Hills High School was always stocked with dinosaurs. Now, much to the chagrin of my taste buds, but the gratitude of my teeth and waistline, dinosaurs do not exist in the States. But man, I love those things. Like, they're so good. I could go to the canteen and blow my entire allowance on that candy alone, and sometimes I did. But there were times when I'd be sitting there with my 50 cents worth of, now that wasn't my full allowance, but that's usually what I would allot myself for like the week, where my 50 cents worth of dinosaurs, and some kid would walk over with this massive heaping bag. One day I asked him how he got that much money. How many chores did he have to do to earn enough to be able to spend that much on candy? He didn't do chores, he told me. His parents just gave him money, didn't have an allowance when he needed something, and often when he just wanted something, his parents would just give it to him. I was so mad. I had to work, and that work was unfair most of the time for the allowance that I was given, for the extra money to spend on stuff that I wanted, and this kid could just go and buy whatever he wanted, what, whatever I wanted? And his parents just gave him the money? How was this fair? Like, how was this right? The injustice of it incensed me. I was hot. Like, I was, I was so mad. And yet, it is strikingly similar to the injustice of forgiveness, isn't it? Forgiveness. We should start this morning by defining this word that is so foundational to our faith. Forgiveness is an intentional decision to let go of resentment or anger. It is purposefully choosing to no longer hold something against somebody else. And we're not always very good at that, are we? Some hurts cut a little deeper than others do. Forgiving something done on accident, no problem. Forgiving something done on purpose, well, maybe not as easy. We feel some hurts more depending on who they come from as well, don't we? Right? If a, if a stranger disres- is disrespectful to me, sure, I get my hackles up, but I can, I can get over it pretty quickly. If my kids are disrespectful to me, might be a good time to clear the room because the dad bomb's about to explode and ruin everybody's day. And yet we're called to forgive like we know this. We know this, like it's all over the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And a portion of the text that Mike read for us this morning, Colossians chapter 3, verses 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Those are just two verses, but look it up, man. Forgiveness is a theme, like it is everywhere. It's something we're called to do, something we know is important to God and is important to our neighbor. Forgiving is important to our spiritual health. Forgiving is telling someone that has rightfully earned our wrath that it will, be, it will not be coming. 
That forgiveness is, is telling someone that has hurt us that we do not wish them harm. That though we have been hurt, we do not hold that person's actions against them. Forgiveness is grace manifest. It's getting what we don't deserve. We've earned the wrath, but instead we're given peace. We are given relationship. We are given security. Instead of the anger that we deserve, we are given love. This is forgiveness. And though we may not like to admit it, we have a hard time giving it out, don't we? We know we're supposed to. We know that God wants us to, calls us to. But we struggle with it. It takes energy to forgive. It takes intention, and we just don't always have enough margin. And so we save it up, right? And then, like a young Pastor Dan at the high school canteen, we spend it sparingly. We, we spend it, we forgive, but not with abandon. We need to keep some in reserve. We worked hard, spent a lot of mental time and energy getting ready to dole out those moments of forgiveness. We want to make that person, or we want to make sure that the person we're forgiving is a worthy recipient. That's what it often really comes down to, doesn't it? Are they truly sorry for what they've done? Do they fully grasp how much they have hurt me? How deep the words, the cuts, the actions went? Do they recognize how much it's going to cost me to forgive them? Are they worthy of it? I know that God's called me to do it, so I'm, I'm going to do it, okay? But, but maybe I'll just do it a little more selectively. I'll forgive on my timeline. I'll make that person sweat a little while. I'm still reeling from the pain, from the hurt, from the betrayal. I can't make it easy on them. Would they even recognize how much they hurt me if I made forgiveness easy? What's to stop them from just doing it again right away? They need, they need to pay a little bit for it, right? I love the way that Robert Farrar Capon puts it. He says, grace and forgiveness is a gift, and we are forever trying to turn it into a deal. We want to get something out of it. If we're going to give something as precious as forgiveness, there has to be something earned. There has to be some kind of deal going down. We have to be getting something out of this. Maybe it's promises about the future. Maybe it's some kind of concession. I don't know what it is, but something. We need assurances, right? How are we doing with that, church? As we sit in the weight of those questions and what they imply about our understanding of forgiveness and who should receive it, I'd like to push us a bit farther in our understanding of what forgiveness is. You see, forgiveness is not something that we own. We can't save it up. We can't earn it. We don't cultivate the ability, the authority to forgive. Forgiveness originates with God. He owns it. Forgiveness and the ability to forgive is ultimately his. We are simply the conduit through which forgiveness passes to somebody else. When we forgive someone, we are gifting them what has already been given to us. Again, forgiveness is grace manifest. We, we talk about how grace is like a cup. And our cup overflows with the grace that God has given us. And so the grace that we give to others, or at least that we are called to give to others, is an overflowing of the grace that we have received. Forgiveness is the same concept. 
When we forgive someone else, we are passing along the forgiveness of God. It's his forgiveness. He's the only one truly qualified to forgive. So when we forgive, we are simply passing along what has already been given to us. We see this clearly in the story of the paralytic man, right? His friends lower him through the roof that he might see Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? Your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of the day, they question this as they rightfully ask, who can forgive sin but God alone? Jesus knows the question in their hearts. And so he asks them, which is easier? To tell a paralytic to get up and walk or to forgive sin? And then he says, Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he turns to the paralytic, he finishes, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Even the Pharisees know that God is the only one who can forgive sin, and Jesus doesn't refute this, but instead confirms it with his words and his actions. God is the forgiver of sin, all sin. When someone sins against us and we forgive them, we are just passing on God's forgiveness, reminding them of what Christ has done on the cross, the gift that God gives to us all freely without merit, right? We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. And yet there hangs our Savior, beaten, bloodied, nails through his hands and his feet. A crown of thorns pressed into his head. Every right to be angry, every right to be furious. He didn't deserve this. He never once sinned. He never once fell into temptation. He was, he is perfect. And yet he went to the cross for us. And the Bible tells us that there on the cross, he took all of the sin, all of the bad that we have done upon himself. He became it. Our sin was imputed to him, given to Jesus without him doing anything to deserve it. And as he hangs there between two criminals, what words come from his mouth? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In a world where we are hesitant to forgive someone else, unless they are able to articulate exactly what they have done wrong. And we want to withhold forgiveness if we don't think they are truly sorry, truly repentant. In a culture where we want justices avenged and, and people held accountable, the Savior of the world, the only innocent person that has ever existed, the only one who could ever possibly exist, hung on a cross carrying the weight of everything you and I and the rest of humanity has ever done wrong. And instead of the righteous anger that we deserve, instead of bringing the hammer, instead of calling down the armies of heaven to avenge his pain and his sorrow and the mistreatment he received at our hands, instead he says, church, would you say it with me? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness completely unearned, completely undeserved. Church, do you sometimes worry that you haven't fully and completely recognized every time that you've sinned? And so you aren't sure you've been able to ask forgiveness for everything. And, and does this worry cause you to wonder if, if you've been forgiven for the things you can't remember, for the unintentional, unremembered, forgotten, or unnoticed sins of your heart? Do not fear, for the Savior has said, again, say it with me, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Do you sometimes worry that your sin is too great? That if God had any idea of how big a sinner you are, the horrible things that you have thought or done, the despicable words that have come from your mouth, the desires of your heart, some 
that you have satisfied and some that you have repressed, but both have brought you perverse joy and intense shame. Do you sometimes think that if God truly knew you, he would never have sent Jesus? Because he would know that you do not deserve it, that you could never earn it. I don't know where you're at in your faith journey. I don't know where you are in the recognition of your sin, but sinner, hear the words of your Savior as he carried your sin, as he became intimately aware of all that you have done wrong and all that you will ever do wrong. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Christ died for all. He died for all sin, for all time. There is no sin that Jesus did not die for. There is no sin that he did not pay the price for. He has purchased forgiveness with his perfect and innocent blood. As Stephen P. Mueller puts it in my systematic theology textbook from seminary, the whole world was reconciled by the death of Christ. All sin forgiven by the blood of Christ. Yes, even the sin that you have forgotten, don't remember, or didn't even realize you had committed. Yes, the sin that keeps you up at night, the great and deep regrets of your life. Jesus died for all of it. He died for believer. He died for unbeliever. Jesus died for sin, all sin, and he paid the price for sin with his death. But he did not stay dead, did he? Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And church... It is when we believe in him, when we trust in him, when we rest in the faith that we have been given that we are saved. Christ paid the price for all sin on the cross, but we live in the fruits of the forgiveness, the benefits of the forgiveness, only through faith. Through faith, the dirty rags of our sinfulness are taken from us and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Through faith, we are brought into the family of God and declared co-heirs with Jesus. All of this through faith, not through words or merit or works. All because we believe that Christ, what Christ has done for us and are resting in his work and not trying to add any of our own. So church, though I think that the process my parents took in raising me, the emphasis on chores, the recognition of being part of the family and the responsibilities that come with that, whether I liked it or not, was good. It was, it was healthy. From a wisdom and responsibility and fiscal viewpoint, those were great lessons and restrictions to put on their son. But if we're looking through the lens of forgiveness, we are instead called to be the young dude sitting next to me with a massive bag of dinosaurs. He did nothing to earn. He spent his parents' money extravagantly, unresponsibly. And that is how we are called to forgive in the way that God has forgiven us, extravagantly, unresponsibly. We're called to forgive even if the person doesn't deserve it, especially when they don't deserve it. We're called to forgive even if they haven't apologized. God asks us to spend, to deliver, to be the conduit For his forgiveness. Are we ready to do that, church? Are we ready to stop trying to be dealers and brokers of forgiveness and submit to God's will and design so that we become conduits of it? It's going to be harder in some cases than it is in others. No doubt about that. There are some things that have cut so deep they have fundamentally changed who we are and how we view the world. 
There are some things that have been done to us, things that are abhorrent, despicable, terrible, and brutal to the point where we run out of suitable adjectives. And yet, and yet we are called to forgiveness. I know that's hard. I may not know how hard, but I know that is hard. And yet God takes us on that journey. But he does not abandon us to it. He is with us, shaping us, molding us, encouraging us, loving us, reminding us of the forgiveness that we have been given and reminding us that no matter what has happened, what hurts we have gone through, what pains we will experience, the betrayals that we will endure, that he is with us through it all. Faith, forgiveness, it can be a journey, a journey that is wrapped in God's grace for us. As we struggle in that journey, let us take comfort in knowing that ultimately the forgiveness we are extending belongs to God. And so when we forgive someone, we are saying to them, I see you the way that God sees you. Or making it a bit more personal. When we forgive someone, we are saying to them, I see you the way that God sees me. Oh, how thankful I am for a God that sees his children and how he sees his children. Because of our faith, he sees not our sinfulness, but the righteousness of Christ. He sees not how we have hurt him, but how much he loves us. Because of faith, he doesn't see a separation between us, but instead wraps us in a loving embrace. As we continue our journeys of forgiveness, may we remember and take heart in these words of Jesus on the cross, and may we know that they are for us. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. What a gracious, merciful, loving, powerful, and forgiving God that we serve. Amen.